Both had grown up in strong Christian families and committed to the, the authority of the Bible. Sex is for marriage. Uh, they slipped up, though. Uh, it was only once, yet two months before the wedding day, uh, she held a, a positive pregnancy test uh, in her hand. Uh, they left Bible college. They lost their student minister positions. Uh, and with some anxiety, they told their families. And six months into marriage, they had a newborn. Uh, another real life example, uh, she hadn't ever had a boyfriend before. Uh, and, and as they say, the biological clock was ticking. Uh, none of the blokes from church seemed interested, and nor, nor was she really interested in them. Uh, but a fella from her local footy club was particularly sweet towards her, and she really wanted to be with someone. Uh, and in the end, that desire, well, it came first. Uh, she slowly but surely drifted away from her local church, and her faith uh, was pushed into the background. Uh, there, there was a pastor who was busy with his work uh, and so naturally away from his wife and children quite a lot. Uh, over time, he began to, to notice uh, that he really connected with one of his youth leaders. Uh, she respected him. She listened to him. She confided in him. She was beautiful. Uh, before long, that uh, emotional connection progressed to a physical one. A little by a little, closer and closer, the closest of human relationships can go wrong. Song of Songs reminds us of perhaps something that we already know, but something that we do need to sit with and remember. Marriage, the most intimate of human relationships, last week passionate, this week dangerous. Uh, and depending on your worldview, you hear those examples that I, that I just told you, and you might think, well, that's, that's no big deal. Uh, that may even be true of your experience of, of life. Uh, and if it is, choose your own adventure uh, with sex and relationships as our Western world sees it. I guess we could try and argue it, it is no big deal. But if there's a, a loving God who made us to live in relationship with him uh, and to live according to his plan for his glory and for our good, uh, then it is a big deal. Let's just have a look at what Song of Songs has to say. Chapter 2, verse 5, look there with me if your Bible's in front of you. The woman saying, speaking to her friends, you remember there's the woman's voice, the man's and the friends in this book. Chapter 2, verse 5. She says to her friends looking on, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. It could be here that this woman is faint with love in the positive sense. Oh, isn't this nice? I'm faint with love. But perhaps it's more likely that she's expressing the intensity. There are times when sexual attraction and sexual desire take over a person. Uh, this woman seems to be physically and emotionally exhausted. This is all consuming. She's overwhelmed. Uh, for I am faint with love, she says. For I am sick with love. 
it could be translated. Love is a powerful force. And we see from verse 6 that his left arm is under her head. His right arm embraces me, she says. It seems they're being sexually intimate at this point. And the woman follows with the next verse, a warning, verse 7 of chapter 2. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Three times the woman gives that same warning in the book Song of Songs. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It's chapter 2, it's chapter 3, it's chapter Eight, it's one of the clearest take-home messages of the book. Uh, But it is a strange warning, wouldn't you say? Usually in the Old Testament, the first big part of the Bible that points forward to Jesus, usually the believer is commanded to do things because Moses said, because the law says so, or because God has spoken through a prophet. That's the normal Way a command is given in the Old Testament. God has spoken, so do it. But here, I charge you by the gazelles and does of the field. What is that about? Well, as it is with Song of Songs, it's difficult to say for sure. I think, though, it's simply saying you don't really need a direct word from God on this. There's something about the gazelles and the the does. There's something about creation that teaches us here. Now, I'm not exactly sure what it is about the gazelle or the doe that instructs or warns in this context. But if we look further on in chapter 2, verse 17, the woman says to her man, be like a gazelle. It's likely to be some sort of portrayal of wild sexual passion. It sounds very wisdom literature-like, perhaps a a bit like the Proverbs that the kids are doing up in the big shed where the sluggard is instructed to, to look at the ant. The lazy person is instructed to look at the ant working tirelessly. In any case, the woman seems to recognise that she is playing with fire, so to speak. She's saying, don't force love. Wait for it to blossom. Don't hurry love. Don't stimulate it artificially. See, according to the Bible, it is no passing fling. It doesn't work as a one-night stand. Instead, it is a demanding and exhausting relationship. Be careful, this is not the place to be messing around. And you may know this from experience. Uh, In the the book Sex, Romance and the Glory of God, Anne Atkins is quoted, and she said, a few years ago I was uh, in a remote part of the world alone with the owner of an idyllic island. As the days went by, he became more attentive and more attractive. It was an extremely pleasant sensation. I was enjoying myself greatly. My work required me to be there and my head insisted that I was above temptation. But I'm not, the Bible tells me so. Consequently, I knew I must leave urgently. I I did. By the grace of God, I didn't commit adultery, not then 
and not yet. But it's there biding its time. Jesus says that makes me as bad as the worst of sinners. Happily, because I've always been taught that I'm capable of adultery, I've always been on guard against it. After all, it doesn't start when you jump into bed with your lover, but months, years earlier, when you tell yourself your friend understands you better than your spouse. Uh, You may know the danger from your own experience. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, says Song of Songs. Just because something feels good doesn't make it right. The, The Bible's claim is that sexual intimacy is for marriage between a man and a woman, not just romantic love, but love expressed in commitments. The single person looking to get married should be careful of getting too close, too connected, too soon. The married should be careful of looking elsewhere. When it comes to sin, uh, one of the greatest dangers for us, I reckon, is having too high an opinion of ourselves. And so I wonder if you have a healthy mistrust of yourself. Uh, Jen and I came across this idea, I think it was when we were doing marriage prep, um, to tell each other if we find ourselves attracted to someone else, uh, be that physically or or emotionally. Uh, It might seem a bit extreme, but it's pretty effective in stopping things from progressing. It's also a recognition that at some point we may be attracted to someone else. Uh, Your husband or wife, if you're married, knowing those thoughts and desires, it can cool them very quickly. I wonder if you have some practical things in play, a recognition of the danger, a healthy mistrust of yourself. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. There's reasons why the couple on their wedding day make those vows, isn't there? Till death do us part, whom God has joined together, let no one separate. That's the way it's always been. God designed marriage to be this way. Genesis 2.24, a man will leave his father or mother and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. It's very precious. The married couple become one. Nothing is to separate them. You got your Bible, just flick to chapter 8. Listen to this, uh, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. And this is the woman speaking to her man again. Chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It it burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. 
You see, the, the woman here is trying to describe the, the power of love and she compares it to the unescapable force of death. She goes further and she says that love is like a, a mighty flame. Some translations have it love is, is a godlike flame. It's powerful. It's dangerous. Love is an incredible Force. And you notice, I just read verse 6, we get a sense of ownership, don't we? Place me like a seal over your heart, she says. His heart, it belongs to her. It has her mark on it. It's an intimate kind of ownership, isn't it? A seal over the heart. And again, like a seal on your, your arm, it's also a, a public ownership, like a, a wedding ring to be seen by all. And so in a very real sense, my wife, Jen, she owns me. She owns me both intimately and publicly. I belong to her. If you're married, your wife owns you. Your husband owns you both intimately and publicly. See, this the most intimate of human relationships. It's dangerous, isn't it? It's not to be entered into lightly. It's precious, but we must guard it. It's so easy for this kind of a relationship to go wrong, especially when our understanding of it doesn't match up with God's. And in all likelihood, uh, given the culture that we live in, our understanding won't match up with God's word in in some way or another, uh, even if that be particularly subtle. Uh, an ethics uh, professor famously said this, and, and I forgot to send the slide to the computer, but I, I want to read it to you. It's long. He says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. It's good that someone's chuckling about that. (laughs) He goes on, we never know whom we marry. We just think that we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a little while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered into it. The primary problem then is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. We might look for the perfect partner, the one who ticks all of the boxes. Is she the right height? Is she blonde? Is she smart, funny, attractive? The one who will make us happy, who will complete us, who will complete me. Sometimes we can even elevate this person to the place of Jesus, the the one to meet all of my needs. This is not what God had in mind for marriage. 
And so for the, the single person looking to marry, this isn't to say that you should lower your standards. But it is to say, as good as marriage is, it's not going to fulfill you. And while our, our culture might say you're not whole unless you're with someone, that is not God's point of view. Now, you know that proverb, he who finds a wife finds a good thing? That's true, isn't it? But there is no perfect partner, and the Apostle Paul reminds us that those who marry will have many troubles. If we look to this kind of relationship for fulfilment, we end up placing an impossible burden on the shoulders of our partner. They don't have the capacity to fulfill it. Only God can do that. And it also means when things are not going well, we'll be more likely to tap out of the relationship, to just leave instead of working on it. When someone else seems more appealing, when someone else makes us feel more special, more excited than our husband or wife, well, the temptation will be to move on. Whether we're single or married, I reckon most of us have got this wrong in some way or another, whether it be in our thinking or our actions. And it's difficult to get our thinking right. It's impossible to be sexually pure in and of our own strength. You know that scene in John chapter 4, perhaps, where Jesus meets that woman who's living on the fringes of society, a Samaritan woman. You know that the Jews hate the Samaritans. And she was getting water from the well in the, the middle of the day. The, the women would go and get water from the well early in the morning to beat the heat and, you know, you need water for the day's work. But she was there in the middle of the day, presumably because she was an outcast even among her own people. The other, woman, the, the other women didn't want a bar of her. Now, in that culture, uh, men don't speak to women in public. Jews don't speak to Samaritans. And it seems that no one would speak to this particular woman. But Jesus did, and he asked her for a drink. Do you remember this, John 4? Her response, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus says, well, if you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And we think that sounds a bit strange, living water. The woman says, you've got nothing to draw water from this well with, champ. You imagine her saying that. Uh, what's this with living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob and who, who dug the well and drank from it and, and from his sons? And, uh, and Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become in them a spring of, of water welling up to eternal life. Give me the water, says the woman, as you would. Uh, so, and she's thinking about the well still, so I don't have to come out here at midday on my own. It's a shameful thing. But Jesus is talking about something else. It's something that we need as much as water, and we need water more than we need sex, incidentally. Uh, 
And what Jesus said next to that woman is particularly significant. He said, well, go and get your husband and come back. She has no husband. She's had five husbands, and the bloke that she's with isn't it her husband. And Jesus tells her this, and she agrees. Why would Jesus bring this up? Is he trying to humiliate her? Well, whenever a doctor helps a patient, they first have to diagnose the problem, don't they, before they give the prescription. Diagnosis comes before prescription. And here Jesus, I think, is helping the woman to see her problem. She's been with so many men. It could be that she's looking to find fulfilment in them. Five husbands down, it's still not doing the trick. Uh, Or they just keep discarding her, perhaps more likely in this culture, one after another after another. Jesus said, everyone who drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I reckon Tim Keller's comment on this is really helpful. He, he said, Jesus is saying, I can give it. I can put it into you. I can give you absolute unfathomable satisfaction in the core of your being, regardless of what's happening on the outside, regardless of circumstance. This woman was an outcast. Yet Jesus offers her living water. He doesn't ignore her need, but he offers a better, a deeper solution. Now, I reckon that is what we need to hear over and over again as well. Hey, relationship with the God of the Bible, uh, relationship with the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit is better and is more deeply satisfying than even the most intimate of relationships, even the most wonderful of marriages, even the best sex. So just to finish, the, the most intimate of human relationships is dangerous. When it goes wrong, it's, it gets messy, doesn't it? It hurts. We don't recover easily. And it does not just impact us but those around us too. When we ask love, sex, marriage to fulfil us, we're left empty. Most of us, perhaps all of us, have gotten this wrong. Stuff that maybe no one else knows about. In Jesus, though, we find forgiveness. When we say sorry, he hears. And in him, we have a deeper satisfaction. Better than the best sex life. Now, that is a big claim, isn't it? Especially in our culture, where sex is elevated so much. When we look somewhere apart from him, we will be thirsty again. But remember these words, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we we pray that you would help us not approach this life thoughtlessly, 
but that we would recognise and be thoughtful of the dangers. Lord, we confess uh, that the pattern of intimate relationships that we have in our mind is not always one that matches up with your word. Uh, That we are influenced by the culture that we live in, by the movies, by the... Uh, by the shape um, of the thinking of the people around us. Um, And Lord, we pray that we would be a people shaped uh, by you uh, and that our marriages and our view of marriage uh, would be shaped by you too. Lord, forgive us for getting it wrong. Be with us as we work through the mess and try and recover from the pain And Lord, we pray that as we look to you for ultimate fulfilments, that you would help us have healthy marriages that honour you and that point to you. Lord, we want to be a people who say uh, God is real, God is loving, God is king through what we say and in everything we do. And we ask that in your mercy this would also be true of our marriages. Lord, I pray for those who aren't married, um, for those who are lonely, um, missing uh, a husband or wife uh, who's passed away, for those who are single and long to be married. Lord, even as... Uh, they struggle. May each one know this deep satisfaction in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we might keep on growing in you for your glory, that we would be a people who enjoy our King Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I'll.